Hello and welcome to McLean's on the Hill. I'm Cormac McSweeney, Parliament Hill Bureau Chief for City News and Rogers Radio. A motion denouncing Islamophobia has created a firestorm of controversy on Parliament Hill. We start off our show speaking with Liberal MP Ikra Khaled, who talks about her motion, the criticisms from the Conservatives, and the hateful messages she's been receiving on social media. From reassurances in Washington to clearing a big hurdle with the EU trade deal, it's been a big week for the Trudeau government on the trade file. We speak with an expert who helps us break down the implications. Now that visit to the White House was historic, and McLean senior writer Ann Kingston and I were both on the trip. We'll be giving you our insights and a behind-the-scenes look at that first face-to-face meeting between Trump and Trudeau. Finally, we end off our show with Shannon Proudfoot, who joins us to explain her profile of Canada's new immigration minister, Ahmed Hussein, as well as lay out this week's edition of the Ottawa Power Rankings. For your politics, for your power, welcome to The Hill. One word has taken over the narrative on Parliament Hill in recent days, and it's caused a passionate and sometimes hateful debate. That word is Islamophobia. The issue came to the forefront as a liberal motion popped up for its first hour of debate. The motion condemns the hatred of the Muslim people and goes on to call for a study on ways the government can reduce or eliminate systemic racism and religious discrimination, including Islamophobia. But many in the opposition Conservative Party, like leadership candidate Andrew Scheer, have a problem with this. To me, it's playing identity politics. You know, it highlights uh, Islamophobia, but it doesn't define that. Um, I believe that all religions should be treated equally in Canada and that we shouldn't be uh, picking one to highlight it over the other. Although it was back in October when the Conservatives helped unanimously support a motion from the NDP that condemns all forms of Islamophobia. While the Liberal motion is not limited to the hatred of Muslims, Conservatives put forward a counter-motion, which removes the word Islamophobia and specifically mentions the discrimination against Muslims, Jews, Christians, Sikhs, and others. They say it's more inclusive. The Liberals will not be supporting it, saying it dilutes the original motion and ignores a growing problem in Canada. Now, this debate got nasty on social media when people began attacking Liberal MP Ikra Khaled, the woman who wrote the original motion, M103. She joins me now on the phone to discuss her motion and the controversies that have followed. Thank you so much for having me. You actually put this motion forward before the tragic attack at a Quebec mosque, which claimed the lives of six men. So um, what were your motivations behind this motion back in December when you put it forward? Canada is a very diverse country, and and I myself can speak to that just being who I am as an individual. And I I always feel that that we really need to keep an effort going to, to really build on that diversity as our strength. So when, when I saw the, the e-petition of se- about 70,000 people that came together and said, you know what, we have a, we have a problem in Canada, and then there was the, 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 the unanimous consent motion on, on Islamophobia in the House, I decided that, you know what, we do need to act on this. And so I put forward this motion that called on uh, not just condemning Islamophobia and all forms of systemic racism and religious discrimination, 
but to actually study it. So the, I, I called on, on the, the Standing Committee of, of Canadian Heritage to study the issue and to develop a whole-of-government approach as to how we can tackle all forms of systemic racism and religious discrimination, including Islamophobia, here in Canada. That was the motivation. And, and not even in my wildest imagination would I have even envisioned the, the Quebec attack having happened, um, which just makes it all that much more relevant. What's your reaction to the counter-motion that the Conservatives have put forward? You know, I, I, I was disappointed, I have to say, um, and, and I felt that uh, the Conservative Party was using this motion to realign the divisions that were, that were occurring in their own party with, with respect to their leadership race. Um, but I, I am really happy that we actually had a whole hour of debate on this very, very important issue. Um, so I, I, I get it. I, I understand it. Uh, and and I, I'm just really happy that we are talking about, about the national issue that we are facing and, and that I hope that we can step above and beyond the, the divisive politics of it. You know, I mean, hate crimes against Muslims specifically have doubled uh, in the past number of years. And, and I think that on a whole, we just really need to study the issue of systemic racism and religious discrimination. Unfortunately, their motion was just really about watering, watering down the actual issue. So we'll go through the criticisms right now. Mm -hmm. um, one is that there's no definition in your motion for the term Islamophobia. Why not define Islamophobia? You know, Canadians have spoken. There's uh, 70,000 Canadians that identified this as an issue. Islamophobia is a definition that is uh, very uh, commonly used here in Canada uh, to refer to the, the, the irrational fear that, uh, against the Muslim community that, that's leading to discrimination. And the very extreme of it uh, seems to be the speculation is that, you know, the, 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 the Quebec terrorist attack. And uh, quite honestly, I mean, the committee is, is hoping to be tasked with this to study the issue, to study all forms of systemic racism and religious discrimination. And it's really in their prerogative. Uh, if they want to scope down the definition, if there are any issues, they can do so. If your motion already covers all racism and all religious discrimination, as it does say in your motion, um, why not take the word Islamophobia out? Well, uh, it's 70,000 Canadians who identified specifically Islamophobia as an issue. And private members' motions are usually used to highlight specific issues um, that, are, uh, that are taking place in, um, in, in, in Canada. You know, for example, there was recently one of my very good friends, Marwan Zabara, who is an MP, he highlighted uh, the contributions of the German community. There was another friend of mine, Deb Schultz, uh, who highlighted the contributions of the Italian community. There's been an anti-Semitism motion. There's Black Heritage Month. There's uh, Tamil Heritage Month. There's so many others. And so through this private member's motion, I was trying to merely highlight an issue that, that Canadians are facing and to try to tackle it in, in a, a whole-of-government approach uh, and, and broadening the scope that, you know what, I think we need to discuss we need to have those open conversations about race and about systemic racism and discrimination here in Canada. Does this motion limit free speech? Not at all. 
Not at all. I mean, I would be the first person to stand up and oppose anything that uh, that limits our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Um, this motion is about studying an issue that, that is very relevant to Canadians today. Um, I, I, I'm quite baffled by by what uh, uh, by 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 that by that argument because you know this is really about bringing a lot of Canadians to the table to study an issue, experts, um, marginalized communities to, to share their narratives, to share their stories, and the most important part is that this is not a bill, this is not legislation, this is a motion that is calling, that is actually not even calling, it is requesting very nicely the, the government to, to ask the, the standing committee to begin this study. And just for our listeners as well, a motion is non-binding and doesn't actually require the government to do anything, while bills uh, from the government or from private members do change the policies and direction of the government, just so that uh, people are, are aware of the difference between right. the two. Another criticism that has come out, uh, people say this this pits one religion against others. Does your motion give any special privileges to people of the Islamic faith? It doesn't. My, my motion is simply asking the Standing Committee of Canadian Heritage to study an issue that Canadians are facing. Let's not forget that 70,000 people through this e-petition have raised this as an issue. Let's not forget that thousands of people came out and supported, in this instance, the Muslim community um, after a horrible attack in, in Quebec. Uh, and, you know, I would do this for any community that is feeling vulnerable. And, you know, quite honestly, through through all the hate mail that I've received, I felt it. I, I felt the discrimination. I felt the racism. And it's it's something that we need to come together and, and tackle and talk about. So let's touch on that. Uh, I did want to ask you about that. You stood in the House on Thursday during the debate on the conservative motion, and you read out loud some of the messages that you've received this week based on your motion. Can you give us an idea of the hateful things that people are directing towards you simply for putting forward this motion? Um, sure. There's been a lot of calls on uh, on people uh, saying that I, I should go home. Um, not really sure. My home's Mississauga. Um, there's there's been threats. People calling on my death. Um, people calling me a terrorist Muslim. Um, people saying uh, a very nasty things. I, I I think one one comment has has kind of stuck to me, uh, saying that uh, my motion uh, will hang around my neck like a noose. Um, calling me a, a Draperhead Muslim. There was a video that was put out by, by a gentleman who lives in my city uh, saying that, uh, that um, you know, even though he won't shoot me himself, there will be others who will, and, and he will be very happy to watch me and film me while I lay on, on the ground, um, and he will laugh. And that is unacceptable. It is unacceptable. How does it make you feel when you get those types of messages simply because you put forward a motion aimed at ending certain types of hatred? You know, it, it only strengthens my resolve that this is an issue. It is a very real issue in Canada, and we need to speak about it. We need to engage 
in Canadians and how they're feeling and and we need to tackle this issue and let's not forget what brought this this whole motion about was the 70,000 signatures on that e-petition that said Islamophobia is a problem in Canada but no one type of discrimination is separate from any other no community is immune everything is interwoven and we really need to do our best as Canadians to tackle that issue to really build bridges because quite honestly and I, and I felt it at the grassroots level the more we build bridges between different communities between different faiths and ideologies the better we are the better we we strengthen not just our social fabric but also our economy while it strengthens your resolve Personally, it must be frightening to, to, to see those messages aimed at you. I Completely honestly, I, I was more scared for my staff than I am for myself. Um, I you know, don't want to put anybody's, anybody's security at risk at all. Have you spoken to the RCMP about these death threats? I have, and uh, investigations are continuing. All right, that was Liberal MP Ikra Khalid speaking to me about her anti-Islamophobia motion. To read more about the debate around Islamophobia, head to mcleans.ca. Still to come on the show, we break down the Prime Minister's successful trade week, we analyze Justin Trudeau's trip to the White House, and we hear from the Federal Immigration Minister. All of that and more coming up on McLean's on the Hill. Welcome back to McLean's on the Hill. I'm Cormac McSweeney, Parliament Hill Bureau Chief for City News and Rogers Radio. Coming up on the show, McLean senior writer Ann Kingston joins me to analyze the Prime Minister's trip to the White House and give some behind-the-scenes observations. Later, we hear from Immigration Minister Ahmed Hussein and Associate Editor Shannon Proudfoot brings us the Ottawa Power Rankings. But first... This was a landmark week for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on the world stage. First, he met at the White House with President Donald Trump and received some assurances that Trump does not have Canada in his crosshairs when it comes to trade. We have a very outstanding trade relationship with Canada. We'll be tweaking it. We'll be doing certain things that are going to benefit both of our countries. Uh, It's a much less severe situation than what's taken place on the southern border. At a time of rising protectionism and with so much at stake for Canada, that comment alone was enough to make the trip a success. Now, after Washington, the Prime Minister traveled to Europe, where he addressed the EU Parliament in France just a day after it had approved in a vote the Canada-EU trade deal. That was a major hurdle to clear. Following that address, the Prime Minister also went on to meet with German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Now, to look back at all of this, we turn to Akeem Hurlman, a professor of political science at Carleton University in Ottawa and an associate director of its Centre for European Studies. Professor Hurlman spoke with McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief John Geddes, and John began by asking for his reaction on the way the Canada-EU trade deal was being praised in Europe during Trudeau's visit. I'd like to start, if you don't mind, by reading you a quote and getting your, your, your reaction to it. It's from uh, Manfred Weber, the head of the German Christian Democrats in the European Parliament. When Justin Trudeau was there and the Parliament was, was passing the Canada-EU trade agreement, 
He said, this is Europe's answer to Trump's trade policy. Instead of protectionism, we want partnership. Instead of fear and mistrust of each other, we want openness and even stronger ties with our closest allies. It sounds like it's taking this deal that we thought of as just a Canadian preoccupation and, and putting it in a much broader frame. Is is that how you saw that what was happening this week? Um, yes, absolutely. You saw Trudeau's appearance in front of the European Parliament, which was very well received, but also a lot of the media echo to his visit and, of course, the, the ratification in the European Parliament of the CETA agreement. Uh, all of that um, was very much discussed in the context of the new American presidency and Trudeau being presented as the anti Trump, if you want, uh, and uh, the, this deal as uh, as an alternative vision for transatlantic relations. Do you think it's a little bit too too flimsy a, a framework to take all that weight? I mean, I know it's uh, an important trade deal, but it seems like a lot of symbolic importance to to put on that thing. That's correct, and also, of course, uh, while we saw that the European Parliament approved it, and this will open up the way for uh, what the EU calls provisional application of uh, most of the agreement. Uh, the agreement itself itself will still have to be approved by all of the 28 member states of the European Union. So well, we are not even sure that it will uh, go through smoothly. Uh, so it is quite a, a lot of weight to be put on this agreement. I, I know you watch many things other than, than trade agreements. Would you mind, can you give us a little tour de raison of, of, of European politics right now? There, people have said that Trudeau and German Chancellor Angela Merkel are really the sort of last two standing obvious champions for a kind of liberal internationalism. Well, there are many important elections coming up in Europe this year and uh, uh, the whole European Union and all really of European politics is uh, in a way sort of watching these elections. The Dutch election is coming up on March 15th and pop the populist party is polling strongly there. We will then of course have the French presidential election in late April and the runoff elections in early May where uh, the populist candidate Marine Le Pen is uh, predicted to make it into the runoff round and that will be a really pivotal test. If she became president of France, this would most likely mean that the whole European integration project would begin to unravel. And then, of course, Germany will have an election later this year, Italy most likely as well. So there are a lot of uh, pivotal decisions that will be made fairly soon. It's astonishingly busy, the, the calendar. I, I, I don't even know where to look next, but could I just take you to that first, uh, the Dutch general election, which I think is mm -hmm. mid-March, right? Yes. The far-right leader there is uh, Gert Wilders. Am I, am I saying that mm -hmm. right? I came to the does he have, do you think he has a serious chance of becoming prime minister? I know we're more, we usually concentrate much more on, on France and Germany, but this, because yes. it's the first one, I'm wondering if, how, if it could be a sort of weather vane for the year to come. Yeah. Well, the Netherlands is a parliamentary system. The uh, Freedom Party of Wilders is polling around 25% or so at the moment. Uh, so uh, it, it's uh, very, uh, it will be a strong force in the parliament, but I do not see him becoming prime minister. Um, and even if he were to form a government, it would be his, his influence would be strongly counterweighted by coalition partners. So uh, that's why the French election is likely to be the even bigger test, because the political system there would allow uh, the direct personal election for uh, Marine Le Pen as president. How disturbing. May I take you back to Trudeau's trip to, uh, to Europe this week, just for a moment? Um, 
The president of the European Parliament, Antonio Tajani, uh, said something I thought was, was interesting. And I wonder if you could tell me if this is just him flattering Canadians as they visit or if there's meaning behind this. He said um, it's easier for the Canadians to speak to the Americans than the, for the Europeans to speak. Do you think it's actually actually true that Europeans might be looking to Canada for some kind of you know, bridging role or, 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 or guidance on how to understand the new White House? Yes, I do think that at the moment this is important. Uh, the, the Europeans, particularly at the European Union level, are deeply disturbed and very insecure about how to respond to Trump. He has, uh, after all, been giving interviews saying that he would predict more European Union member states to leave the EU. Uh, there is a reported favorite of his for the job of ambassador to the European Union who has compared the EU to the Soviet Union and somehow claimed that he had a part in bringing down the Soviet Union and could do it again with the EU. So there's a couple of signals from the Trump administration that uh, in the EU cause uh, great uh, uneasiness. And uh, I think the uh, meeting that uh, Trudeau had this week with Trump showing that even though they have different political opinions, they, they could get along, seem to find some common ground even. Um, that uh, will be something that the Europeans are looking for, if only as a model for how they can engage with Trump, because they know that it will be necessary, um, uh, but uh, they, they are not sure yet how this could work. That was Carleton University's Akeem Hurlman, a political science professor and associate director of the University Center for European Studies. He was speaking with McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief, John Geddes. Still to come, I'm joined by McLean's senior writer, Ann Kingston, who helps take us behind the scenes of the Prime Minister's trip to the White House. And later, Associate Editor Shannon Proudfoot lets us know the good, the bad, and the ugly in Canadian politics. All of that and more coming up on McLean's on the Hill. Welcome back to McLean's on the Hill. I'm Cormac McSweeney, Parliament Hill Bureau Chief for City News and Rogers Radio. Still to come on the show, McLean's associate editor Shannon Proudfoot talks about her profile of Immigration Minister Ahmed Hussein, and she offers this week's Ottawa Power Rankings, letting us know who had a good week and who had a bad week in Canadian politics. But first, as we mentioned earlier in the show, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau began this week with an historic trip to Washington where he was able to achieve his goal of getting some assurances from President Donald Trump that Canada is not in his crosshairs when it comes to trade. Now, this was a very important meeting, and it had the attention of almost everyone in the country. I was lucky enough to take part in that trip as a part of the traveling media delegation following the Prime Minister. Someone else at the White House on Monday was McLean's senior writer, Ann Kingston, who joins me now to look back at the trip and offer some insights and behind-the-scenes observations. My pleasure, Cormac. Now, we were both on this Washington trip, but uh, we didn't really get a chance to speak because things were just so chaotic, and uh, it, was, it was such a fast trip with a lot on the agenda uh, that I just spent my time yelling into a telephone uh, trying to file radio reports back to our stations. You, you had a different experience out of the whole trip, and let's try and take the listeners behind the scenes here, because you flew down to Washington while I actually uh, joined the Prime Minister's sort of media delegation that flew with the PM uh, down to the White House. Uh, so what was, your, uh, what was your day like uh, when you went down there? 
Well, I flew down the night before, so I had to be at the White House by before 10 o'clock, and I arrived early and to be told that I wasn't on the list. So it was a, a, one of these sunny, cold, uh, windy Washington days, and it you know, basically stood that the Secret Service was not... It was not a friendly guy I was dealing with, I have to say. And then, you know, a very uh, gracious uh, individual from the State Department came over and we sort of figured it out. So the day involved standing, basically waiting for the Trudeau entourage to arrive, uh, hanging out a lot in the press, the White House press office, because if you're not in the pool, as you know, um, you're basically kind of a stenographer for uh, photo ops. So that was sort of my day, but it was, it was interesting. I mean, that's not to say you don't get insights into just the um, degree of uh, imagery and pageantry and optics. Yeah, and, and that first meeting, the private one between Donald Trump and, and Justin Trudeau, was short. I, I think it maybe was like you know, 20 minutes long before they brought in um, you know, the, certain members of their respective cabinets, and then they were on to the next photo op, and then it was on to the next photo op and the working lunch and then the news conference. So not a lot of time for any deep discussion at all. Precisely. And so I think, you know, it, we, we make a lot of these things, uh, but they're, it's, all, it's all grounded in this symbolism, which is, you know, why you can, you know, go on for, you know, 15 minutes about the quality of the handshake, the length of the handshake, the, you know, the alphaness of the handshake and so forth. So you start, you know, and what were the, what were the talking points? Why, you know, the, the, the whole women's issue, for instance, the, you know, this roundtable became a, a focal point because it was made a focal point. They created the news and the news uh, you know the media kind of is basically scurrying after it my experience of the whole day was a little bit different than yours where i was actually in on a lot of those photo ops because i was able to get a part of that pool um, but we were stopped at security as well but there were 10 of about 30 of us uh, who didn't clear secret service security clearance at that time and so i was forced to file reports standing outside the gate watching the motorcade for Justin Trudeau pull up and knowing that I'd missed that uh, first uh, handshake at the door, um, we were able to get in uh, thanks to the work of the Prime Minister's office. A few, a few of us who were part of the pool were able to get in early, and we got in the nick of time to get into the Oval Office uh, to actually shoot that, uh, that handshake and that initial greeting. Um, but we were running across the front lawn and driveway of the White House, which made me think two things at that time. One, it was like a scene out of a movie, journalists running into the White House to get to something happening in the Oval Office. And two, this is how snipers pick people off. Exactly. <laughs> yes. uh, watching you as you go. Well, I think that also speaks to something else that really wasn't discussed. Is And that is the, the sense that this was a hastily convened, or at least it, it, it didn't have um, precision militaristic uh, logistics attached to it, because there was a bit of a scramble. I know a lot of people, you know, names were not on the list. I think there was a lot of last minute, um, you know, sort of figuring things out. For instance, I talked to one woman who was at the at the uh, round table in the Hassenpress, uh, who is the CEO of Lunamar, an auto parts company, and she was saying she heard about it within the, the previous week, uh, you know, the, the, the round table, which sort of surprised me because the discussions everywhere have been that this, this round table have been in the works for months, but that wasn't her experience. 
You compare that to the Obama visit, where it seemed like things went swimmingly well for the Canadian delegation because President Obama welcomed Justin Trudeau with open arms, a military parade, uh, one of the lawns of the White House, uh, made a very big deal out of uh, the Canadian Prime Minister's visit. Uh, this one had a much different feel to it. That's right. It, it just it did. There was a lot of it, pro forma. Um, uh, kind of diplomacy uh, going on, and certainly that was, to my mind, evident at the press conference uh, that the, you know that concluded the day in terms of um, in terms of sort of what the press was was looking for. And I, I just sensed, you know, Trudeau. It, it took more time at the podium. He was far more relaxed. He was far. He just he just um, sort of exuded a statesman. Uh, statesman quality that that Trump was just he he's staring off into the middle distance and sort of only perked up when Trudeau quoted um, you know uh, Winston Churchill talking about the relations between the two company uh, countries and all of a sudden you saw you know Trump's head kind of he, his eyes the glaze left his eyes and he he sort of paid attention for a few minutes. It was during the question period when uh, Donald Trump was asked about trade. And that's that was the big story to come out of it because there was so much pressure put on the Trudeau government to get some sort of reassurance that Canada was not the target when it comes to trade. And, and a lot of that work was the groundwork that was laid in the meetings uh, that started weeks in advance of some top people in the Trudeau government heading down south of the border to really deal with these people. And I think one of the interesting aspects of this was that colonnade walk that you, you saw as well uh, before... Trump and Trudeau did their walk from the Oval Office uh, before heading into that uh, working lunch. We saw a lot of their teams walking in together, and I noticed that Gerald Butts, the right-hand man of Trudeau, was seemed to be laughing and getting along great with Steve Bannon. And these two people, politically, ideologically, uh, couldn't be further apart. Uh, you know, Bannon it was the executive from Breitbart News who uh, says that this is the platform for the alt-right. Butts, the architect of this progressive campaign that helped bring Trudeau to power uh, that progressives around the world have been praising. And yet these two people seem to be getting along well. Well, I, I, exactly. And I think we have to kind of, you know, go back to the notion of the theatricality of it all. Um, I think that that kind of... Um, bonding that you saw between um, Bannon and Butts is is kind of reflective of that. I can't imagine that either of them had any ideological kind of epiphanies talking to one another, right? Um, I, I think that that was one of the weirdest kind of moments of the day for me. Um, just going back to the press conference, it occurred to me, the, you know, you alluded to the question being asked about NAFTA. Trump's at, answer about tweaking and then saying it'll be a deal that's great for everyone. I mean, the answers were pretty facile. Um, for, uh, sir, I'm speaking here, actually, of the president. We don't know what's, what's true, what's not. The questions were answered, but um, there, was no, there was no real controversy, certainly, um, summoned by any of the questions asked. In, in terms of Trump's language, what does tweak even mean? We, it's very hard to define. <laughs> well, I, I, would, I would not... One thing I would imagine is that it does not mean sort of the dictionary meaning of tweak. So one last thing I just wanted to touch on with you, Anne, is just uh, how the Internet builds a whole new narrative out of these meetings just based on photos that are taken. I was in the Oval Office for that handshake. I was in the room for the Ivanka-Trump Women's Roundtable. Let's start with the handshake. I mean, uh, it, it seemed like a split second before Trudeau looked down and shook Trump's hand after he uh, extended it. Uh, and 
you know, it's very easy not to see anything out of that. But according to the photo that you see that has been widely distributed, it almost makes it look as if, you know, Justin Trudeau waited a whole five minutes considering whether or not he even wanted to touch Trump's hand. Well, and that's hence the need for you know actual people in the room. Photographs are not can be distorted as we've as we've seen. And yeah, I think that the problem is that there is so little substance that actually happens at these things that undue um, attention is put on you know, sort of the iconography that emerges. That said, as somebody who has written about this iconography, I also think that it, this is historic stuff and that it does shape our understanding. It, it was interesting with Ivanka how people tried to build up this whole um, sort of loving moment between Trudeau and Ivanka Trump. That was absurd, and I found that actually kind of risible, I have to say. I just really, um, not. Uh, it, it was a bad um that i found that uh, sort of a bad train of uh of uh, exploitation i have to say that was mclean senior writer ann kingston speaking with me about the prime minister's historic trip to the white house coming up after the break from refugee to cabinet minister shannon proudfoot discusses her profile of canada's new immigration minister ahmed hussein so stick around with mclean's on the hill Welcome back to McLean's On The Hill. I'm Cormac McSweeney, Parliament Hill Bureau Chief for City News and Rogers Radio. And we're ending off the show this week by speaking with McLean's Associate Editor, Shannon Proudfoot, who joins me now in studio. Shannon, thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, we are going to get to your weekly Ottawa Power Rankings, where you let us know who had a great week and who had a bad week in Canadian politics. But first, I want to focus on a story you did for uh, the magazine and for McLean's.ca. You did a profile this week on Canada's new immigration minister, Ahmed Hussein, who is the first Somali-born cabinet minister, but also the first Somali-born MP in Canadian history. He's got quite a fascinating tale around his rise to this point. Um, what did you learn about Ahmed Hussein? Yeah, he's an incredibly interesting guy. And uh, sort of the, the thrust of my story is that you can't possibly imagine a way in which he could be better prepared for the portfolio that he's taken over now. So he came to Canada in 1993 as a teenage refugee from Somalia fleeing the Civil War, um, subsequently lived in Regent Park, an inner city Toronto public housing neighborhood that, that was very troubled at one point, And he became instrumental in helping to sort of rejuvenate it and, and kind of bring it back to the people who lived there. And then uh, after university, he went to law school and opened up a, a law practice in which he he focused on criminal defense particularly of young offenders and immigration and refugee law so he sort of lived through every possible aspect of the refugee system um, he's 40 years old relatively young and kind of just vaulted off the back benches to be named to the cabinet in the latest shuffle um, and he he's been particularly a compelling figure because the very first weekend uh, after he was sworn in was the weekend that uh, President Donald Trump's travel ban took effect in the US we saw massive protests royal airports and his public introduction minister who sends public introduction to the job was a press conference on a Sunday afternoon called to answer all these questions um, and everyone you talk to about him will remark on his calm that he just has this very quiet understated nature um, but also very commanding that people listen and I think you saw that on display in this press conference it was an obvious occasion for nerves because he was brand new very calm, cool, and collected. Um, there's sort of an interesting bit of, maybe a bit of tension between his personal, and I don't mean 
tension in a negative way. I just mean between his personal narrative and the file he now holds, because people always want to ask him how he responds from a personal perspective to things like the travel ban. Somalia is one of the nations that was that was on that list for the U.S. And, and he seems to, to just not really want to speak from that perspective. Um, he talks a lot about the sort of different ways his identities fit together. And so I asked him what it was like to have that file be so relevant and intense as soon as he started and also how his own personal experience fits in with the way he sees his portfolio. It, it was uh, it was very interesting, but you know, I, I've always uh, learned most when I'm placed quickly in position, in, in sorry, in a situation where I have to deal with something. So it was a very steep learning curve to get right into it, but yes. you know, but I had a really good, uh, I, I have a very good uh, staff and, and, and supportive department officials and everything went fine. I think for me, the, the thing that's very, very important to me is, which I remind myself constantly, is that, you know, I came to Canada uh, as a refugee, as someone who had to go through the settlement process, the integration process, make my way through Canadian society, and now, now tasked by the Prime Minister to lead the very department that I, that I once needed in terms of being a new refugee, that the same department that I was once a client of. Mm -hmm. I think that's, to me, that's that's amazing because it's uh, it really speaks to the generosity of Canadians uh, in their ability to invest in new new newcomers, help them succeed, help them come up, and and work hard and 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 be who they who they want to be. So. I'm very honored that uh, that I've been given this role by the Prime yes. Minister. Now, your homeland was one of those the countries included in uh, President Trump's travel ban, now suspended. Uh, I would think it would be nearly impossible not to have some kind of strong personal reaction to that. Look, I, the United States has its own immigration policy. I understand that they have uh, this policy where they're pausing elements of the refugee resettlement policy so that they can do an analysis of what they want to do. We will uh, obviously be looking at that analysis closely. I can tell you what we're doing. What we're doing is maintaining a compassionate refugee system that balances uh, our compassion uh, and also the, the, the health and security of Canadians. We've always been a welcoming country to newcomers, including those who are, uh, who are fleeing war and persecution. And, I intend to maintain that uh, progressive Canadian tradition. It's very interesting. Uh, so, Shannon, you also looked at why the Prime Minister chose Hussein as the new immigration minister. What was behind that choice? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, part of it is just his obvious um, experiential fit for the job. They they said that they wanted someone, uh, sort of use the turn of phrase, in the control room who knew what it was like on the shop floor. And he, as he says, he's been a client of the, the department that he's now in charge of. On top of that, they also really liked his, his very kind of calm and collected nature. They knew this file was going to be a hot one when the Trump administration came in. Of course, no one knew exactly what they had planned, but um, the PMO was very much aware that this was going to be a, a heavy file and a fraud file and they thought just his kind of nature was well suited for the temperature of this right now. All right, so we're going to now move on from uh, your profile piece this week to your Ottawa power rankings. Uh, let's start with the good stuff as we usually do. Who's up this week? Yeah, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, I think, had a very good week. He was in Washington, of course, on Monday to meet with President Trump. And I think he managed to pretty skillfully walk a fine line there. He looked very calm, cool and collected. People sort of chuckled in that press, that joint press conference he held with 
Mr. Trump that Trump looked bored or even a bit surly, um, I think because of the way Trudeau was presenting himself. And then later in the week, he's off. he went off to Europe, uh, touched down in Strasbourg to address the European Parliament right after it approved uh, CETA. And Tr- Trudeau's message there was very much one of promoting trade deals, promoting globalism, saying this was a blueprint for all future deals. So he had a good week on that world stage. Number two on the Had a Good Week list is Jagmeet Singh. He is an Ontario MPP for the NDP. And there's just been lots of sort of low-grade whispers about wouldn't it be nice if he ran for the federal leadership to replace Thomas Mulcair. He seems to sort of be be perceived as a desirable candidate. He now says he's seriously considering it after there's sort of been just this chatter for a long time. Um, but apparently his hesitancy is that he believes his party could unseat Kathleen Wynne's Liberals and lead Ontario. So he's not sure if he wants to jump from the provincial to the federal level at this point and missed that opportunity. Also, Kevin O'Leary had a good week. He um, He's now ahead in the latest poll of Maxime Bernier as the, the choice among conservative voters and also uh, is the leading choice among conservative leadership candidates that people perceive as being able to beat Justin Trudeau at the polls in 2019. He appeared in a, an unofficial candidates debate uh, on Monday in Montreal and his French certainly sounds awfully rickety, which I think he's as sort of cop to in public, but uh, apparently the crowd appreciated that he tried. All right, those were the people who had a good week in Canadian politics. Now let's switch from the positive to the negative. Who uh, is not happy with the week they just had? Right. Well, if Justin Trudeau himself had a good week, I think his feminist credentials had a bad week. Um, There was this sort of odd spectacle in Washington of this round table on women in the workforce that he participated in with Canadian and American female entrepreneurs, with President Trump, with his daughter Ivanka. But there was this real kind of incongruity to the image. I mean, Donald Trump's um, quite atrocious statements and apparent behavior around women are on the public record in masses that you can find through Google. I don't need to go through them. Um, And his daughter has often been trotted out as, I think, a bit of a fig leaf for him. She she very much presents herself as a working woman who shows solidarity with, or a working mom, I should say, who shows solidarity with others like her. And so you sort of had this spectacle of the self-avowed feminist prime minister sitting at a table with um, people whose, I don't know, like real behavior around this issue is very questionable, even though the whole mood of the, the meeting was very upbeat. Um, it was just kind of a bizarre sort of image. Second on the not having such a good week list was uh, Marilyn Gladue, who's a conservative MP. And this revolved around the debate over uh, private members motion 103. This was the private members motion calling on the government to, quote, quell the increasing public climate of hate and fear toward Muslims. And the debate around it got really hot and kind of weird this week. And uh, exhibit A of that was uh, was. Ms. Gladue, who said she had been attacked online as a Christian, and she she trotted this out as evidence that hate crimes and attacks are happening across different faiths. And then she had this very bizarre graphic way of questioning whether Islamophobia was a, a concept that people understood. So it was just sort of a sign of how, how weird and unproductive things got in the house around that. All right. And then who's the, the final uh, final person or thing that uh, that uh, had a bad week in terms of politics. Yeah, the final one is indeed not a person, but a concept. I said that decency, reason and sanity had a bad week in Ottawa this week. And that is because the Liberal MP Ikra Khalid, who introduced that private member's motion uh, back in December this week, revealed that she'd been the target of just hideous hundreds of uh, threatening racist messages from people opposed to this measure and just lobbying unbelievably ugly stuff at her. Um, It's certainly a 
a particular subset of Canadians. It's not everyone, but um, it's very revealing and sort of ironically almost seems to buttress the need for emotions such as hers, although obviously it's it's entirely valid to debate the merits or faults of her particular motion and the other one on the table. All right, uh, Shannon Proudfoot, thank you so much for this. Uh, that was your Ottawa Power Rankings. And of course, if you want to read Shannon's uh, profile on Immigration Minister Ahmed Hussein or check out those power rankings, head to mcleans.ca. That's it for this week's episode. For more of your politics and power, join us next week on The Hill.